Bible study where we're going through the book of Exodus. Exodus is the book that we're going uh, verse by verse through. So open your Bibles to Exodus. There's some really uh, wonderful things about the priestly garments that we're going to read about tonight. And, and uh, all of these things that we're reading about, the tabernacle, uh, all the articles that are in the tabernacle, this movable uh, temple, this tent that's been created to be uh, the dwelling place of God, as I've made a, a big deal, and I, I, I just need to make the big deal, that God has always wanted to dwell with his people. And so the tabernacle was, was God's uh, blueprint given to Moses, and his people had the opportunity, remember, to give. The people were the ones that gave for the building of the tabernacle. In Exodus 25, we learned that the tabernacle was made out of gold and silver and bronze, and the most costly fabrics that they could uh, bring and donate the, as the congregation donated the, the wonderful, wonderful. Somebody said it was like 800 tons worth of gold and silver that went into making this. I don't know about carrying the thing through the wilderness, but, but it was a massive, substantial structure. It wasn't like the tent you buy at Kmart. So you're thinking a tent. You're thinking a, a walled tent for hunting. Not at all. This is a massive structure with, with layered uh, linen Walls. The linen was very translucent, purple and blue and silver and gold, so, and it would move with the wind. It was just a gorgeous structure, not, not at all like the, the, the mash tent. I mean, sometimes we get these weird thoughts in your mind. Get those thoughts out. This is a gorgeous, gorgeous structure that resembles heaven. Remember, the inside of the tabernacle had the golden cherubim embroidered by the finest artisans. And inside, it was gorgeous blue, as blue like the sky and the cherubim, a lot like heaven, with the throne in the middle, the, the ark, the, uh, the mercy seat with the cherubim. It's a beautiful, beautiful structure with gorgeous imagery, all of heaven and of Christ. That's what we're looking at as we're going through these uh, verses here. Chapters uh, 25 through 31 are all the instructions about the ta tabernacle and all of the articles in it and how it's to be constructed. And we get to this section in chapter 28 tonight that really focuses on the special clothing of the high priest. Now you had the high priest who was Aaron. That's, that's the brother of, of Moses. And then you had his sons. There's Nahab and Abihu. Remember those guys, they blew it. Remember in Leviticus, we read all about them, but you almost have to get rid of that. There's four of his sons that are the the junior priests, they wore a real plain garment, as we'll see at the end of this chapter. But the high priest, he wore this gorgeous garments that spoke of so many beautiful, beautiful things. Again, the Old Testament tabernacle and the priesthood and all its symbolism speaks of Christ. And you've heard this saying before, the Old Testament is Christ concealed, the New Testament is Christ revealed. Dan and I were talking about that a couple of weeks about it ago. And so the, the New Testament, we see Christ. The Old Testament was pictures and types of our redemption. It's all about redemption. The Old Testament from beginning to end is about God's redeeming plan. From Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, spiraling every son and daughter of Adam. You're either a woman, you're a daughter of Eve. She's your spiritual mother. She sinned, right? Or you're a son of Adam. 
All have sinned, Romans 3, and have fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. So God's plan from Genesis 3 on was redemption. How, how can I redeem my people back and dwell with them? And so the tabernacle represents this wonderful place where God comes to dwell with his people, but in order to worship him, you had to do it his way. There wasn't a second way. There wasn't a way you made up. You came to the Lord in his prescribed way, which is really important for us to, to really understand. I think we, as New Testament believers, we're under grace, not under law. And so sometimes we come nonchalantly into the, the presence of the Lord, even in through prayer. It's like, well, God, you know, here I am today. God, you know, see me down here. Rather than, Lord, you're holy and you're righteous and your ways are only true, and I, I, I'm just a recipient of your grace. Oh, Lord, I come humbly before you. We need to be very, very reverent. And this is what the tabernacle teaches us, how we need to, to be holy, and specifically these clothes for the high priest, holy. They're very holy, very special clothes that really resemble the tabernacle. If you were, have been here the last couple of weeks in the assembly and the building of it and the layered uh, linen cloth that was not only over the holy of holies and the holy place, the tabernacle itself, but outside in the walls that went around that whole area. I showed you pictures last week of it. I don't have those pictures. We're going to look at the garments tonight. So let's pray and we'll, we'll jump right into this. Father, thank you for the, the wonderful, wonderful scriptures in the Old Testament and how they really speak of and teach, picture, pre-picturing Christ our Savior, Messiah. And I pray, Lord, that we as your people tonight would, would really get excited about as we read these scriptures and help me, Lord, to move quickly through them and help me to make application so that we as your sons and daughters in this time of, of grace, this new dispensation of grace, can see how wonderfully and perfectly you planned it all out so that we might today live a life realizing, God, this has been your plan of redemption from, from the beginning. This has always been your plan. Help us, Lord, to glory in that, to be grateful for that. As we read now about the garments of the priest, in Jesus we pray, amen. We begin here with uh, these first couple of verses. They kind of set the tone for this chapter, verses 1 through 4, the priesthood and the garments, notice verse 1, now take Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel. So they're chosen out of all the people, two million people. These are chosen specifically to minister, notice, minister to who? God's calling them to minister to me. This, is, this ministry and worship is all about the Lord. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nahab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithmar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. So that's the setting the tone here. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom. Speaking of these gifts of the spirit, God's going to give these special artisans that are going to work with gold and silver and thread and weaving these artisans for beauty here. Uh, and that they make, make Aaron's garments to consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, or correctly pronounced ephod, but I'm going to say ephod because I'm used to that, a robe, 
and a skillfully woven tunic, turban, and sash. Those are the holy garments, the high priest garments there. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. Now, you'll first notice that God has called out Aaron out of all the, the people to minister, and we have seen that. Back in the beginning of the book of Exodus, Aaron was the one that was interceding. He was praying for and doing these certain works, but God has separated now Aaron and his sons to do this priestly work. He set them apart for ministry there, and very interestingly, the, the priority here for them was to minister to the Lord there. Notice the word priest. It's kahan in the Hebrew, and it has to do with being a mediator. The priest was God's mediator between him and the people. And so this religious service, the, the ministry, the service that these priests are going to do are, are intermediator between God and the people. And we're going to see that. They're going to do a lot of sacrifice. They burn the sacrifice. They cut the sacrifice. They offer sacrifice. The people would go so far into that area, the outer court, bringing their sacrifice, but it was the priest that did the work, and then the priest would go and sprinkle it on, sprinkling it on the altar and doing all those things. So they were ministering specifically to the Lord there, but it was Aaron's family alone. And the garment that we're going to look at is beautiful, and it, it really typifies the glory and majesty and, and holiness of the Lord. We're going to see that in the color and the gold, and the thread, and all those things. We're going to tip, it typifies the person, Jesus Christ, in many different ways. As the writer of the Hebrews says, here it is behind me on the screen, Hebrews 10, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifice. So the New Testament writer of Hebrews is speaking of what we're reading of here in Exodus, which can never take away sins. They offered endless sacrifices but as the Hebrew writer says, it, it was never to take away all the sins. But this man, speaking of Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice, where was that? On Calvary. After he went to Calvary and offered the one sacrifice for sin, he sat down. That means he's done. It's complete. Whenever you see an angel sitting or God sitting, in this case, Jesus sitting, he sat down at the right hand of God because he's done. No more sacrifices after Christ. That's why we don't have the Sabbath. That's why we don't have the tabernacle. That's why we don't have the endless sacrifice because Jesus was the one and only sacrifice for us. So these garments and the gold and all the, the, the beauty of the garment really does uh, help us to understand or typify the mediator, Jesus, all the color and all these things. Jesus is the great high priest. Aaron was the high priest of the Old Testament. Jesus is our high priest, the book of Hebrews. He's better than Aaron and the priesthood. Jesus is the high priest. So notice two things about the ministers here in Exodus 28. First, we see the priority, and I mentioned it already. In verse 1, 3, and 4, it says that he may minister to me as priest. Anyone who serves the Lord, if you're serving the Lord as an elder, as a as a church board member, as a Sunday school teacher, as a usher, uh, outside and security, inside doing whatever, anyone that ministers uh, to the Lord has this calling 
uh, in their life. And the priority is to minister to God. You don't minister for me, your pastor. You don't minister for the people around you, although that's a secondary work that we do. The main reason you come and serve, the main reason you commit your time even to come to church is to minister to the Lord. First and foremost, that's the priority. And that's what God is saying to Aaron and his family, that you're ministering to me. Remember that. Don't get your eyes off me. Like Eli and his sons, you remember him. And so keep your eyes on me. That's, that's the number one. The second thing that you'll notice, and this is really in- interesting, in all three of those references I just gave you, like in verse 1, that he may minister to me. And then he calls Aaron and his sons, but he keeps saying me, singular, but it's Aaron and his sons. Just as this church is one body, we are to work as one people, pastor, elders, workers. We're to work as one for the glory of God. When you divide yourself, when you start picking each other apart, oh, I could do that better. Oh, they should have me and my voice. I should be standing there. Then you have immediately separated yourself from the unity that God wants in his tabernacle. Do you notice that? See what he says there, that he may minister to me, but it's Aaron and his sons. So, I mean, you should catch that as you read that. You're going, why Why does he say me? But he says Aaron and his sons. Because there's a unity there. There's a oneness there, like the oneness that we have in the body of Christ. Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians. He says this. I love this verse. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. The body of Christ is one. It's not splintered into denominations. Those are all man-made, by the way. We should be coming together as a group of Christians and be able to worship. The problem is you'll go into, a, into a, maybe a, a, a denominational church, and I was saved in one, and I thank God for it. But you go into one, and it becomes maybe a point of pride for them to have a little bit slightly different dogma than the other church down the street. The first whatever church and you know, who wants to be the second whatever church? And, and there's always these divisions that man puts in, but God to God, he sees one body, one Lord, even though there's many different gifts. That's what this verse is talking about. And aren't you glad that God sees diversity in the body, different ways to pray, different ways to think about the scriptures, reading, but there's only one, there's only one God. And we're all under him. It's, it's the Lord. I love that truth there. So we have a unity with these minister to me, God says, but we have a unity in Aaron and his sons because they were doing the same work. There was a unity there just like there is in the body of Christ. Now, in verses 5 through 14, we see the high priest's garment and all its detail here, beginning with the ephod. It's actually ephod, A-W dash. That's the way you pronounce it, but I don't know why. I love ephod. I've always said that. So I've always mispronounced this, but the the ephod here in verse 5, they shall take the gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread. And then notice, fine linen. That means it's translucent. It's not like burlap. You know, sometimes you think about the mash tent or the, 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 the tent you buy at Kmart or whatever. This is very beautiful flowing, and they're using beautiful fabric, and the color, blue, purple, scarlet, fine linen, and they shall make the 
ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet, and fine woven linen. And notice at the end of verse 6, artistically worked. So we just talked about the artisans in the first few verses. God says, you know, don't use the, 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 the beginning uh, seamstress. Use the journeyman, the one that really knows it, the artisan, the one that can really be creative and, and, and can put beauty into the fabric. God wants special. He wants unique. He wants beauty here. Verse 7, it shall have two shoulder straps joined at its two edges, so it shall be joined together. So the ephod, here's a picture of it here behind me here. It's basically a vest. It's that upper vest there, the the robe behind, there's actually an undergarment, and then we're going to talk about the robe, but there's the vest there. Notice the different colors, and it's all done kind of not plaid, but these, that's, you know, we're thinking, I mean, we don't have a picture, nobody had an iPhone back then, but here's a picture of this vest, and you'll notice the vest, how it went over the head, there was, there was straps on the front, straps on the back, of this vest, these two shoulder straps here, made of gold, blue, purple, scarlet. And then it was just kind of draped over the robe. So it went over that blue robe there. Again, it was made of the same material that the veils inside, the beautiful blue and purple and gold veils that were inside the tabernacle. Same fabric that's being woven now into the high priest garment. And verse 8 says, and they... And the intricately woven band of the ephod, which is on it, shall be of the same workmanship made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. Then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone and six names on the other stone in order of their birth. So there's a specific order order uh, for this uh, uh, stone and how the names were engraved on these two different stones. You'll see the stones up on the shoulders. The stones were like big buttons. You know, the buttons held the, the two shoulders together. So it was the names of the tribes representing all the people that were up on the shoulders there of the ephod of this garment that went over the robe. And uh, the Jewish historian Josephus gives us a little bit of detail. He says that Jacob's six oldest sons were on the right shoulder, and then the names of his six youngest sons were on the left. So that makes sense, right? That's what the scripture says, in order of their birth. Verse 11, with the work of an engraver in stone. So we're not talking about somebody that's just going to kind of scribble names, uh, uh, an artisan, someone that's, that's gifted in carving in stone, like the engravings of the signet, you shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them in settings of gold. So the stones were in, uh, had a gold, you know, like leaflet around it, a, a, a floret around it with a, with a stone in the middle, and then that was like buttons that held this, this ephod to the high priest, and you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones, the sons of Israel. So these stones are important. They have the names of the sons of Israel, and Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. You shall also make settings of gold. 
and you shall make two chains of pure gold like braided cords and fasten the braided chains to the settings. So the ephod was gathered together again at the shoulders and fastened with these gold chains and, the, and the, like these big uh, buttons. So very interesting and beautiful the way it's described here. As the high priest was the only one that could go beyond the veil into the Holy of Holies. Remember the tabernacle, there were three veils. The first veil, all the people could see through the veil that led to the, the altar, the altar of burning, uh, the altar of sacrifice, and then past the lava of washing for the priests. And then, then the next veil was into the Holy of Holies, the tabernacle itself. They, you could kind of see through that. That's a little bit, you know. Again, the, the picture there is uh, the people would see that and like, what are they seeing? What are we looking at? You know, just like we look at heaven. We, we can't really see it. We read about it in the scriptures, and we're like, look dimly now, but one day we're going to see it. One day we're going to be in there. It's going to be glorious, right? And so they're, they're looking through the veil, and only the high priest could go through the first veil, through the second veil, into the tabernacle, the, the holy place. He was the only one that could go through this next veil and into the Holy of Holies. And that's why the names... Were on a shoulder, the names of the children of Israel were on his shoulders. As a memorial, it says, as a memorial to them. So here's what the priest is doing. He's walking into the Holy of Holies to, on the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and he's going to splatter blood of the sacrifice on the altar for the people for that year. But he's got the names of all the children of Israel on his shoulders. He's bringing the people in, in an intercessory way before the Lord. God was in that holy of holies. He was represent his Shekinah glory glowed inside there. And the high priest was able to go. But the beautiful truth here is that the high priest went in there with his glorious outfit on, with all its gold and glitter, but with the names represented on his shoulders. Now, it reminds me of our Lord Jesus Christ how he went to the cross. And when he went to the cross, guess whose name he went with? Did he go with your name? Do you believe that he went with your name? That's, a, that's an honest question. Do you believe that God knew about you and he died for your sin? Do you believe that? So that means he went to the cross with whose name? Isn't that awesome? Here, the high priest goes in with the children of Israel's name. But Jesus went to the cross with you in mind. He had Tim and Esther and Jim and Joy and Jenny, and he had your name in mind when he went to the cross. Isn't that glorious? Oh, I love that. I love the fact that Jesus went to the cross with my name, and there he died and shed his blood because he knew my name. And he died specifically for me. So that's what this is speaking of. It's a beautiful, beautiful, redemptive work that the high priest is doing. But Jesus has done it all. He's done a finish work. He took our sins. He bore our sins. Isaiah says that by his stripes we're healed. Now, let me just real quick give you this because I love to theology. The, in theology, this is called Jesus being the federal head, meaning he went to the cross, federally, meaning everyone, everyone 
Okay, so he's gone federally, and he goes to the cross with everyone's name, not just yours. I mean, yeah, you went with my name. You know, you're going, oh, this is cool. I love this. But he went with everyone's name. He's the federal head. The Bible theologically sees him that way. So he went to the cross, and he did this redemptive process there, paying the penalty for the price of our sin, the world, remember? He took upon himself the sins of, oh, oh, Lee, it was only the elect. It was only the elect. No, no. He, He went and died for the sins of the world. That's what the scripture says. We get hung up on all kinds of different things, don't we, Christians? And we love to argue about little things. I I love this truth. There wasn't one person that wasn't named on those stones of the 12 tribes. They were all represented just as Jesus went to the cross with your name and my name. I love his redemptive work. Another beautiful picture of the high priest wearing the the ephod, the names on his shoulders. Again, is Jesus as the good shepherd. Think about this really quick. Isaiah 40, verse 11. This is a verse you know. We used to sing this verse all the time. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. The Messiah, Jesus, is seen as a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those with young. Now, here's the idea. I've got another picture here. This is the picture that we have in mind, right? We have this picture in mind when we think about Jesus carrying a little lamb, this little feeble lamb that just is too weak and can't keep up. And Jesus gave a parable about leaving the 99 for which one? The the weakest one, the, the least. That's the picture of our Messiah that Jesus would carry on his shoulders just like he had the names, the names of the children of Israel and your name and mine when he went to the cross. Isn't that a glorious truth? I I just, it's so exciting to me. That's the picture there. Jesus is the good shepherd. He carries the feeble and weak. Tonight, you're tired, you're weary, maybe not from a work day, but maybe there's something really going on in your heart and mind. Maybe there's something really heavy that you're facing, like a surgery, like a difficulty, something that's that's life-stopping. Jesus, he's the good shepherd. You're on his shoulders. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of the Lord and his work in our life. Jesus is our high priest, and he presents us to God. Just as Aaron, as the high priest, presented the 12 tribes to God, it's in Jude 1, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. I love that. He's able to keep me from stumbling and to present you how? Man, I, I don't know. I, Lord, can you really forgive this sin? I had somebody asked me just recently, can God forgive? And they gave me a sin. And I said, yeah, there's, there's no unforgivable sin. You're in Christ. Your position used to be in darkness, used to be lost, and When you put your faith in Jesus, your position spiritually changed. You went from lost and dark and dead, and you were made alive in Christ, and now you're in the light of God. And being in that position, that position of of being in Christ, 
You can now shine the light. You can now live for the Lord. You can now do all those wonderful things. And, and Jude says here in verse 24, he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Oh, he loves to do that. He loves to bring you as a broken person right before the Father. And he says, Father, look what I've done. I've healed, I've, I've, I've brought this broken person back to you. Everywhere Jesus went in the Gospels, he touches and he heals. and he, the, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead are raised. It's, it's a picture, it's an image of what God has done to us as broken sinners. He presents us faultless before the throne of God. Somebody say amen. amen. I mean, that is awesome. I love that about the Lord. I love that truth. But getting back to the ephod here, again, it's a symbol, right? The, the symbol of the authority of the high priest. He's the only one that could go into the Holy of Holies. And the ephod, again, speaks of the high priest, Jesus Christ, and all of his authority to present you and me faultless before the throne of the Father. Love that. In verses 15 through 29, we see the 12 tribes again represented in this breastplate of judgment. Here's, I got another picture Yes, we can go to the, there's my point, and then let's read this, and I'll show you the picture. You shall make the breastplate of judgment. Now, remember, this is what it is, the breastplate of judgment. Don't, don't lose that picture. Artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod. So the same artisans are going to make this. It's very intricate, very beautiful. They, they make it of gold and blue and purple and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. You shall make it. It shall be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length, and a span shall be its height. Uh, and, and you shall put settings of stones in it, four rows of stones. The first row shall be sardis, topaz, and emerald. And that shall be the first row. The second, turquoise, sapphire, diamond. The third row, jacinth, agate, and amethyst. And the fourth row, beryl, onyx, and jasper. They shall be set in gold settings. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names. Like the engravings of the signet, each one with its own name, they shall be according to the twelve tribes. So there it is right there. And you can't really tell in this picture. And it's really hard to, to do it, but but engraving the names of you know, Zebulon and each one of the names of the tribe, the 12 tribes, in gold. See, they're engraved there in gold. It's hard to see in my little picture there. But another beautifully uh, woven fabric with these stones and golden uh, backplates or leaflet behind the stones as well, about a span, eight inches a span. So it's just a little square little square. It actually has a pouch. We'll talk about that in a moment. But these 12 stones that are on it with these two gold chains that went around the neck of the priest, so it hung over his neck. Again, it's all symbolic. The high priest with the 12 tribes of Israel. But this time, think about this. Where are the 12 tribes? Instead of on the shoulders, they're where? Right next to the heart. Again, I love the truth of that that next to the heart of God are the names of the people, that you and I, again, are like that, and, and we're like those people that God loves and he's chosen. He keeps them next to his heart. They're the 12 tribes on that high priest's breastplate there, all symbolic that, again, 
The high priest brought the people before God. He brought them with a blood sacrifice. His hands would be bloody from the sacrifice. He came into the Holy of Holies, representing the people right there on the, not only the shoulders to hold the ephod, but the breastplate of, of judgment as well. Here's the application. All of us are dear to the Lord. He knows each and every one of us. He bears our names again, close to his heart. And again, each one of these gems, as we looked at the list, I don't know if you're into rocks or gems, those are very expensive uh, in our time, but they're cut and they're shaped uniquely by the artisan. It was all to be done specifically by those that were really gifted in in, uh, cutting gemstones. But think about you. When you came to Christ, he made you a new creature. You stepped from darkness into the light, and then God began to chisel, right? Aren't you glad God does, does some chiseling work in your life to make you more like Jesus? Without that work, you'd be the same old crusty, gnarly, wretched sinner. How many in this room would say, gee, Pastor Lee, I don't need work. I came to Christ, and, and I was a gem. No, you weren't. You were like a gnarly old mud ball covered with filth of the world. And God has taken you as a rock, as a stone, and he's chiseled away, and then he's polished. And then you hold a gemstone. What do, what do gemologists do when they look at a stone? Do they look at it in the dark, or do they look at it under a light? Why? Why do they do that? So they can see the, the facets of the light that, that flash through the color of the gemstone. Again, God has worked in your life. He's working in your heart. He's creating you into a, something beautiful. Oh, but Lord, it's hard. The sickness, the, the, the trial that I'm going through, it's hard, and God is chiseling and working, and, but he's going to make something beautiful. It's going to be a glorious stone. That's what he's doing. So listen, all you are is a vessel. Just You're broken. You're cracked. You're a cracked pot, right? Let God do the work. Just yield. You have to yield to that pain. You have to yield to his chiseling. That one little area of your life that you just don't want to give up, you're holding on to, God is chiseling, chiseling, and it doesn't stop. And, oh, it's just, I, God, it's irritating. Well, leave it alone. And God has something beautiful. He wants to make this gorgeous stone. You've got to let go. You've got to let God just do his work because when he's done, he's going to hold it up like this beautiful gemstone, and the light is going to be translated. It's going to be glory. It's going to look gl- beautiful and wonderful. That's what this speaks of, again. But notice how the breastplate is attached. I have a picture, and then we'll read here in verse 22. Again, I should have it. There it is. It, it's, it goes around his shoulders with the golden bands, and there it is, that square right there in front of the ephod. You shall make chains for the breastplate, verse 22 at the end, like braids of cord, pure gold. You shall make two rings of gold for the breastplate and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. Then you shall put the two braided chains of gold in the two rings, which are on the ends of the breastplate, and the other two ends of the two braided chains shall fasten to the two settings and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in front. You shall make two rings of the gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate on the edge of it, which is on the inner side of the ephod. 
And two other rings of gold you shall make and put them on the two other shoulder straps underneath the ephod toward its front. Right, the seam above the intricately wound bands of the ephod. It's really hard to follow this, but it's how it's connected again. Verse 28, they shall bind the breastplate by means of its rings to the rings of the ephod using the blue cord so that it is above the intricately woven band of the ephod so that the breastplate does not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron shall bear the names, Aaron the high priest shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord. Notice the word here, continually. The breastplate, the colors, the stones, continually, continually. The names of the children of Israel, your name is before the Lord continually. Now in verse 30, we get another mysterious description here of these two items that were inside the breastplate pouch there, the Urim and Thummim. And you shall put, verse 30, in the breastplate of judgment, the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. So he would wear this and people knew that it was a judgment, that decisions were going to be made from the breastplate of judgment in the high priest's garment that would go before the Lord. So there's a connection with the Lord. There's a connection with God making judgment on the people. There's a connection with the high priest and his hand going into this pouch to pull out these two different items here. There's different interpretations or understanding of, of these two things. But notice it says here, you shall put in the breastplate of judgment. So inside this pouch in the breastplate of judgment were these two things. And, and these two things were specifically for decision-making. Judgments, that's what it was for. It's, I mean, again, we have to look at the scripture plainly. Um, you've heard, uh, you know, keep it very simple when you interpret the Bible. Don't don't go running down some rabbit trail. Um, I won't mention the names or some guys that I really enjoy listening to their Bible study, but boy, do they run down rabbit trails. And it's, it's actually hard to, well, wh which way are we going now? You know, and, and it's exciting. It'd probably keep you awake right now for some of you that are sleeping. But, but um, <laughs> the, the point is that, that this, these two items were inside this, this decision-making pouch here. And although we don't know exactly how it worked. Some believe they were sticks. Some believe they were stones. The Urim and the Thummim were in the pouch. They were some kind of, think about this, they were some kind of sacred lot. There's only two. You can only take one out. So one's going to say one thing and then the other one's going to say another. We're not talking eight ball here. There's only two. And they both were permanently engraved with these words. I'll explain that. The Urim, Urim, is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The Thummim is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So the, the Urim and the Thurim best can be translated um, as you look at them specifically are either light or curses and the other word perfections. So most believe that one, the Urim, was curses, or maybe it was a specific colored stone, 
And then the other stone was either lighter or darker, and it was the one that gave perfection. So you had the negative and the positive, really, or the yes or the no answers. The priest would go before the Lord, intercede for the people, begin to pray. And it was like, Lord, I, I just, I really don't know what to do. So the priest would and draw a lot. And whatever that stone said or what, however it came out, that's, that was the decision, yes or no, negative or positive. So that's, that's the best we can really ascertain from what the scripture says. Now, remember, I've said it and you've heard it, but the best principle of hermeneutics, interpreting the Bible, the best method is to let Scripture interpret what? Scripture. Let the Scripture interpret Scripture. So we find other Scriptures that speak specifically about these Urim and the Thummim here. It was Joshua. It was Joshua 40 or so years later in the book of Numbers. Let me show you the verse behind me on the screen. He shall stand before Eleazar the priest who shall inquire before the Lord for him by judgment of, notice, the Urim. There it is. So the priest is going to have this garment on, and he's going to put his hands on Joshua, and then he's going to reach in and to get confirmation of the calling in his life. That's what this scripture is speaking of. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in. In other words, he'll be their commander. He and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. So here's an example of scripture helping us to discern or interpret what the Urim and the Thurim were. Again, David, David used them, but it's interesting as you read through the scriptures, they get less and less. They start out big here when God is initiating his new nation, and then they kind of slowly fade away. They, they go away. But David in 1 Samuel 28, here's another verse, 1 Samuel 28, verse 6, and when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dream. I'm sorry, I meant Saul, not David. Saul, he wouldn't answer him by dreams or by the Urim or the prophets. Um, Saul, as you remember, was the bad king. And so Saul, God wouldn't even speak to him, even through the lot, wouldn't even give him an answer. Now, Moses never used the Urim and Thurm. There's no uh, evidence, there's no scripture that indicates Moses ever used them, just Aaron, the high priest. And by the time you get to the prophet Ezra, you don't see them anymore. They're just not mentioned again. So God is establishing his nation and he's using these for the judgment from the high priest. When he just didn't know what to do, he'd go into the Holy of Holies, he'd ask the Lord and he would draw out and get the answer from the Lord. Now the verses 31 through 35 describe this high priest's robe. Here it is, verse 31, you shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. There shall be an opening for his head in the middle of it. It shall have a woven binding all around the opening, like the opening of a coat of mail, so that it does not tear. Make note of that, does not tear. And upon its hem, you shall make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet. You know what those are, pomegranates. So it's the, the plant, the pomegranate. Just If you look at the end of a pomegranate, um, it has like a real hard bud, at the end, you've seen that, right? You have the pomegranate plant. It's kind of the hard. Do you like pomegranates? Those things are hard to eat, aren't they? They're just like, what do you do with them? When I was a little kid, I just remember getting it all over my shirt, you know, getting in trouble. 
But on the end of the pomegranate, there's a little like floret hard. It's hard and has a little thing. And it's that floret that they're talking about there that would be uh, designed in this whole thing. Uh, let's see. And upon its hem, uh, you shall make pomegranates blue and, and scarlet all around the hem, bells of gold. So there's bells around the, the, the bottom of the garment, the golden bell and the pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe all around. And it shall be upon Aaron and his ministers, and the sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord. So people would hear as he would go into the holy place. And when he comes out, they would hear the bells. But if he died, they wouldn't hear the bells. So it's a very serious, serious thing to go before the Lord, amen? That you just didn't walk in there anytime you wanted to, and there were bells on there. That was a reminder to the priest, you don't, do not mess around. You go when God wants you. You leave when God wants you. You do exactly as God says. The bells meant that you were alive, and if the bells stopped, everybody knew what happened to that guy. Again, here's a picture of the priest. This is a different picture. But there's the ephod, and over the blue, see the blue robe. There's the blue robe that went over the, the under-white garment. So you had the white garment, then you had the blue robe, then you had the ephod, then you had it all held together with the stones there uh, on the shoulders. So the blue robe was worn under the ephod vest. Now notice in verse 32 real quick, so that it does not tear. Tearing that blue robe, it was made in such a way that it couldn't be torn. In other words, it, sh it was never to be torn or worn uh, uh, ragged at all. It was, it was forbidden. And yet, if you remember, let me take you to the New Testament. It's Matthew 26. Remember the trial, the trial of Jesus. It was all illegal. It was all wrong. The Jews never tried anyone in the dark. And Jesus had three trials in the dark, three trials. that He was arrested in the dark. He was taken to Caiaphas and Pilate and Herod. He bounced around back and forth in these mock trials because the Jews were trying to accuse him and get, a, get an indictment against him so they could kill him. That was all they wanted to do. So they had to keep going and going and going. It was all done at dark, illegal, totally illegal. The second thing that was done that was illegal is here in Matthew 26. Here's the verse. Tell us if you are the Christ, the high priest Caiaphas, or it was Annas, said, Jesus said to him, it is as you said, in other words, he answers him positively, are you the Messiah, the Son of God? Are you claiming to be God? That was the question. Jesus says, yeah, it's as if you said. Nevertheless, I say to you hereafter, you're going to see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power, coming in the clouds of heaven. Boy, did that light that high priest fuse. Then the high priest tore his clothes. He did something else illegal. Nighttime trials, and he ripped the garment. He wasn't supposed to rip the garment. That was a taboo. You don't do that. But the high priest ripped his garment, again, violating this law, tearing his robe there that was forbidden. Now, again, the bells made sure that the high priest that went into the Holy of Holies was alive, and if they stopped ringing, there's, a, there's an old saying, who knows if it's true, that they would tie a, you know, a rope around the priest as he went into the hole. Nobody else wanted to go in there. They didn't want to go in there because 
when they went in there, sometimes they didn't come out, so they drug the priest. Where the bell stopped, they drug him out from underneath the veil in the Holy of Holies. I don't know who that happened to. The turban and tunic are, are here. Let's, let's rush through this. Verse 36, you shall also make a plate of pure gold. I love this. And engrave on it like the engraving of the signet. Holiness to the Lord. And you shall put it on a blue cord that it may be on the hat, the turban. So on the front of the turban is this plate that says holiness to the Lord. It shall be on Aaron's forehead, verse 38, and Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hollow in all their holy gifts. And it shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. So here's another picture here. You see it on this picture. Oh, you can't really see it on that guy. I'm sorry, there was a better one and I didn't put it in there. My fault. But there's another picture of the turban, and then you see this blue sash that went up to the gold plate, and on the gold plate it says, Holiness unto the Lord. In Hebrew, you couldn't read it anyway, so it's good. It just said this. It said, Holiness to the Lord. But it was on his forehead, so wherever he walked, and people would see him. He represented holiness. His garment represented holiness, and he only the holy could come into and approach the Lord in the holy of holiness. Holiness to the Lord was that constant reminder that the high priest was serving the Lord, that he was holy and that he was pure. Maybe we should have a Calvary San Bernardino holiness to the Lord headband. We have men of the master. You could do a holiness to the Lord headband. Maybe not. You shall skillfully weave the tunic, the, the headpiece, a fine thread. You shall make the turban of fine linen. You shall make the sash of woven work. Again, the tunic was the undergarment, that white undergarment. And then you had the robe, the blue, over that. Then you had the ephod, ephod over that. The turban, the sash, the girdle that held it all together, the belt. And then the chapter ends here with the, the garments for the lesser priests here. Aaron's sons, verse 40, you shall make tunics and sashes and hats. And they still should be glory and beauty, but they're plain white. There's no color in them. There's no uh, gemstones on them. They were the ones outside doing all the hard work, slaughtering, slaughtering, slaughtering in their garment. You shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and his sons for them. You shall anoint them, consecrate them, sanctify them, that they minister to me as priests. And you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. So even the, the robe that would come down into their calves, they had to make trousers that would cover their flesh. Flesh represents evil. Flesh represents sin. God didn't want flesh in his presence, so they had to cover everything except for their hands that they were working with and their face, obviously. But they would cover everything. And... Um, Verse 43, they shall be on Aaron and his sons when they come to the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place that they do not incur iniquity and die. They, he wanted everything covered. It shall be a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. So the only thing that wasn't uncovered were their feet. They didn't have shoes. They, they always ministered barefoot. Remember Moses. What did God tell Moses when he approached him on the mountain? What did he tell him? So they're not going to wear shoes. Their, their feet are the only things because it's holy ground. So the rest of them had to be covered. Their head with the head uh, tunic over their 
body, the trousers, the, the lesser priests, they were covered all the way down, and then they went barefoot in to do their work. They, they were able to go into the holy place, but they couldn't go beyond the veil into the holy of holies, only the high priest. So these, all these priestly garments, they typify holiness. They typify being set apart. They typify being sanctified. And for some of you that were raised in the Roman Catholic Church, you remember the, the different clothing the priests would wear. They've actually they've used portions of this. The Mormon Church, they have undergarments. They have different garments for those in their hierarchy. They've actually adopted some of these things. We don't have any of these things. Why? Because in the New Testament, Jesus, going to the cross, abolished all the Old Testament. We, we're New Testament, New Covenant saints. These were Old Covenant saints. They had to follow the law. They had to do all these things. We don't have to do any of those things anymore. That's why I'm just wearing Levi's tonight. If it was important, I'd, I'd wear these things. I, I, th I do think it's important that we come before the Lord respectfully, and we need to be careful that we don't become so, you know, easygoing in our, our worship of God that we just, anything goes. We need to be careful that we don't do that. I love the king's jersey back there the, with a crown on it. Antonio's wearing, today's his birthday, so he's wearing the king's jersey there. And uh, that's pretty royal, purple and all. But we don't, we don't have an outfit. Remember how choirs, the choirs would have robes? Choirs were actually robes that were given to the poor that were in the church. You know, you have a church, and the church is always eclectic. In other words, you have real poor people, and you have some people that have lots of money. So the people with lots of money would come in dressed up, and the poor people would come in with their tattered clothes, and they'd come to share their gift in singing. But in order to make them look uniform, they put a robe on them. They still do that today, although most of us could probably buy the robe. But that, the robe is not as important for us. It's not important at all. Jesus abolished all of those things. But the priestly garments uh, that we're looking at here, the, one of the interesting verses I want to kind of end with here is in Revelation 16, because we don't wear these garments externally. Because we're found righteous in Christ. It's, a, it's an internal righteousness that God does, creating the believer all new. Revelation 16, 15, Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see a shame. The garments that are spoken of here in Revelation are the, the white robes that the New Testament saint is given. We're given those white robes because we're made white and pure because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We sing an old hymn. We, don't, we sing it here. We don't sing it as much because it's an older hymn, but it's called The Solid Rock. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When he shall come... With trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other is sinking sand. We are robed with the righteousness of Christ. These robes represent in the Old Testament Jesus, beautifully woven. The priest would go into the Holy of Holies representing the people, and Jesus went to the cross with your name. And he died there for your sin. And he rose again 
so you could have eternal life. Amen. Beautiful picture here in the Bible. Thank you, Lord, for the scriptures.